0: Chapter 10, and as you are arriving there, let me invite you, if you would, to close your eyes and bow your heads, open your hearts, and we'll ask for God's blessing in our time together in his word. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for speaking to us. We thank you that you have invited us to be here. We're not here because of our own idea or our own needs, but we're here Firstly, because you have called us to be here, that you have moved in us and you have gathered us together. And so, Lord, uh, you have some design and some intention, some plan for us today. And our prayer is that we would be uh, receptive and open and um, eager for what it is you want to do in and through us. Lord, help us to be um, obedient to your word. Help us to receive that word and help us to respond to you in ways that allow our entire life this week to be an act of worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is from Luke chapter 10. We are beginning our reading at verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law, which is to say he was a lawyer, Stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? And how do you read it? And the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Write, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. He said a Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, and they beat him and left him half dead. besides the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them then he put the man on his own donkey and took him uh, to an inn where he took care of him <coughs> the next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and took him to take care and told him to take care of the man if this bill still runs higher than that he said i'll pay the difference next time i'm here and then jesus asks his question which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, As the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now, go and do the same. And we'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. Amen. Just uh, last week, uh, you may have seen that our city, the city of Midland, Um, at their council meeting, proclaimed the week of September 28 to October 25 to be Midland Neighboring Week. So the last week of September uh, in the city of Midland is Neighboring Week. And so you can expect to hear uh, a text like this uh, fairly consistently as we get the uh, fall year started around here in September. Uh, Even though they just made that proclamation last week, Uh, The neighboring movement in the city of Midland has uh, really been around since about 2011. Uh, Back in 2011, our mayor, Maureen Donker, uh, called all of the pastors in the city of Midland, uh, which in itself is a fairly uh, remarkable feat in an age when cities and governments are fairly skeptical of the church. Uh, We have a city that was calling on the church, and she gathered together Many of you know the story, all of the pastors uh, that were available to come uh, at the uh, city hall. And uh, about 40, 45 of us sat there in the room and we listened together as uh, our mayor said to us, pastors, your city needs you. Your city needs you. And what your city needs you to do is this. Uh, We want you uh, to serve our city. We want you to serve our communities. We want you to serve our neighborhoods and our streets. We want you to do that by doing one of the two most important things that Jesus says you're supposed to be doing anyway, and that is by loving your neighbors. And so this invitation went out to the churches to begin leading a movement in the city where we would intentionally and deliberately obey Jesus' commands to us, his commands to all of the churches, that we would love our neighbors. And so as we step into this text today, We're stepping into it not only in a biblical context, but we step into it in a cultural context. Uh, We're stepping into this story alongside a whole huge swath of our community. Uh, Since that 2011 beginning of Midland Neighboring, uh, this movement in our city not only includes kind of a whole array of congregations, which is really fun uh, for different congregations that make up the one single church of Midland, to all be thinking together uh, in this season about neighboring. But not only are congregations involved, but now the movement has grown and includes places like the uh, city hall, so city employees. It includes Dow Chemical. Uh, there's a whole uh, array of opportunities for employees at Dow to get involved in neighboring. Uh, it includes MidMichigan Health. It includes the community center. Uh, One of the things that the community center is taking on is that they're walking the streets in the neighborhood right around their facilities and handing out passes for people to come and have a free week uh, to visit them. Uh, The Midland Public Schools uh, is pushing the neighboring concept through all of their classrooms. A number of small businesses and a number of individuals who aren't necessarily attached to any of those groups are taking on this idea of being focused intentionally and deliberately and thoughtfully on being a better neighbor. And as, follow, as followers of Jesus, that's good news. And as followers of Jesus, we are in a unique position to contribute to that movement, to contribute to that movement in a, in a really significant, in an in a important way, by defining who it is our neighbor really is by thinking hard about the motivation and the energy that drives a movement to be better neighbors and then to lead the way. Followers of Jesus who are following a Jesus who said, one of the two most important things you can do is to love your neighbor. We're called to do that in our city. And we have the opportunity to lead the way. Because at its deepest level, uh, when we come together here, we're not coming here First of all, thinking about how can I be a better citizen? How can I contribute to the civic life of my community? How can I you know, improve the uh, experience of uh, quality of life in our community? We're not primarily, firstly, motivated by that. But as followers of Jesus, we come to this movement of neighboring, firstly, motivated by wanting to do the thing that pleases the heart of God. We come wanting to please God's heart. And that's precisely what this story is all about. If you look at the question that this lawyer asks of Jesus, he's saying, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? Uh, If you look at the way he phrases that question, it's a lawyerly way of saying, how do I please God? How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I uh, uh, step into uh, the light of God in a way that brings him joy? And Jesus answers this lawyer uh, in a really uh, contextual and clever way. He says, well, look at the law. What does the law tell you you should do? He answers on the lawyer's own terms. Look at the law. And the man responds and says, the law of God says in the summary that I need to love God and I need to love my neighbor. And Jesus looks at the man, and you might be, you might be surprised that Jesus doesn't say, yes, but that's the law, and that was for those Old Testament people, and we don't have to do the law anymore. Uh, don't worry about requirements. Don't worry about those old pesky rules. Uh, you might think that Jesus would say to this man, now I've got some great news for you. That might be what the law says, but the good news is that God already loves you, and you don't have to do any of those things. And Jesus doesn't say that. Do you know why? Because Jesus affirms the, 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 the underlying value of what the law is expressing. Uh, Jesus knows that the law of God, originally expressed and encapsulated in those Ten Commandments and the law that Moses received and all of the details, that that law is an expression of God's heart and God's character and God's person. And so when this man comes to Jesus and summarizes the law, he's not not summarizing a code of ethics. He's summarizing the heart of God. He's saying God's heart is for you to love him, and God's heart is free to love one another, free to love your neighbor. That's what God wants from you. And Jesus doesn't say, well, God already loves you because we're not talking about earning or deserving God's love. Jesus assumes that God's love is already in play. What what Jesus is talking about is not earning God's love or deserving God's love by doing some specific nice things for your neighbor. What Jesus is talking about is, When you respond to God's love that already exists in this way, you make the heart of God happy. You bring joy to your Father who is in heaven. You please him. I think of it uh, along the same lines as uh, parents who watch their children through milestones of growth and development. Uh, As parents, we don't look at our kids and say, one of these days... I need your first word to come out of your mouth. And when your first word comes out of your mouth, then I'll begin loving you. But until then, I'm not sure if, uh, if we're ready for that step. Or when you take that first step, uh, then I'll love you. Uh, the first time, how many of you have had kids for the very first time bring you breakfast in bed, right? Usually it's some kind of a culinary mess, but it's a piece of toast and it's an egg with shells in it and burnt bacon or something. And they bring you that in bed and it's this first, it's this milestone you don't look at that and say, what a mess that is. I don't love you anymore. Right? There's, there's no condition based on uh, your loving them. Instead, uh, there's a response to a child who says, I want to please my parents. I, wanna, I want to bring joy to mom and dad. And that's Jesus' invitation here. It says, how do we bring joy to God's heart? How do we please a God who is already madly in love with you? And the answer is this famous story that we call the Good Samaritan. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is going to answer the question, uh, how is it that neighbor love works itself out in our world? And the way that Jesus tells the story, he's doing two things. And he's doing them simultaneously. Jesus is a master teacher. He's a master craftsman when it comes to stories The first thing that Jesus is doing is that he's pushing our boundaries a little bit. He's pushing the boundaries of who we might include in our circle of neighbors. So he's he's stretching us. And then the second thing that he's doing is he's taking us right back to the center, and he's saying, um, and I also want to reinforce the obvious. So he's reinforcing the obvious. Your neighbor is your neighbor. And he's stretching us. Your neighbor might include somebody that you least expect doing both of those things. Let me show you that. So, as the Samaritan comes along in this story, the Hebrew listeners to Jesus, the Jewish listeners to Jesus, would have despised this man just by the name of his nationality. Uh, The Samaritan was culturally and socially and legally and in every way that you could be divided from the Jewish people. He's the one that you would least expect to be neighborly. He's at odds with and even enemies with God's people. So that's surprising. It's a surprising turn that Jesus has a Samaritan in the story. uh, Do the thing that exemplifies loving neighbor. Do the thing that exemplifies following the law of God. And we need to let that surprise register with us for a little bit. We need we need to let that surprise set into our guts a little bit and allow it to stretch us into the place where we would consider the possibility that God's call to neighbor might actually mean that we're called to be a neighbor to, to somebody that we the last person in the world that we actually want to love. So it's surprising. There's a stretch. But on the other hand, there's also a little bit of disappointment in the story. There's a disappointment because while it's surprising that the Samaritan, the stretch idea, is the neighbor, it's also disappointing that the two Jewish people are not. Uh, the people that would have most likely been identified as neighboring, right? Right? the priest and the temple assistant, uh, fail. And there's 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 a disappointment. There's a current of dismay in their failure. Certainly the priest and the temple assistant would have known the requirements of God's law. Certainly they would have recited the same answer as the lawyer in our story. They would have known that they were called to love their neighbor as an expression of God's character. They would have known that. And they also would have had excuses. They would have had reasons. They would have had issues and concerns that they allow to override God's best intention for them. And so this story leaves us feeling a little disrupted. The people who are actually the neighbors, the Jewish people who actually live as neighbors to this man, are the ones who fail in their call. So along with this sense of surprise, the Samaritan is the neighbor that pushes our boundaries, that redefines who neighbor is, comes this disappointed question. Why why is it that these two Jewish neighbors didn't? Why didn't they? And if I'm being really honest, uh, the question becomes personal. Why didn't I? Why didn't I love my neighbor? And here's the thing that I want to notice. An abstract love for everyone. Right? Nobody disagrees with this verse in an abstract kind of a way. Nobody debates whether or not we're supposed to love our neighbor. Yes, I'm for neighbor love. But an abstract love for everyone often ends up being expressed as no actual love for anyone. And that's what we see in these Jewish travelers. It's a failure of love. So when Jesus is telling the story, not only is he surprising, but he's also inviting his Jewish listeners to say, yeah, my neighbor my actual physical neighbor my kin my my fellow citizens members of my family my actual neighbors are included in Jesus commands so the surprising part the samaritan doesn't override or undo the literal part my actual neighbors so our neighbors in this story are in the place where we actually spend our time. Loving my neighbor isn't a special add-on project that I go and do with extra time that I have available. Loving my neighbor happens woven into the way that I actually spend my time in the place where I actually spend it, in my neighborhood, in my yard, in my driveway, my backyard, around my house. In Acts 17, 26 and 27, we read, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them, and then this phrase is fascinating, and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Would you consider with me that Jesus is saying, you have been placed in a specific neighborhood. You have been placed in your home. You've been placed on your street for a godly mission, for a godly purpose, for a godly design, so that you can love the neighbors that God has brought there. So if the story helps us to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Sometimes surprising, sometimes somebody that I least expect or at least want to be my neighbor. God says sometimes they're included but also specific, practical, my actual neighbors, where I actually spend my time. Who is my neighbor? The story also shows us how to love them. The answer to the question, who is my neighbor, leads to how we love them. Uh, The only qualification that Jesus mentions in the story that qualifies this Samaritan as being a neighbor is that he sees a need and he's in a position to meet that need. Uh, To be a neighbor simply means that I am seeing and responding to the needs of those around me and allowing my neighbors to meet my needs. Now, I understand that there's a lot of resistance to that idea about my neighbors knowing my needs. We're a pretty private group. We're pretty close. The idea of neighbors in my community knowing what my needs are, knowing what my challenges are, knowing the difficulties that I'm up against, that's, that's, a, that's a daunting and fearful, and frankly, it's off-putting. I understand that. And yet Jesus comes along and says, if, if, I could, if I could design a perfect neighborhood, it would be a place where you're walking down the street and you see a need and you realize that you have the resources and the capacity to meet that need, and you step into that space. That's the neighborhood that I want to make. Jesus says neighbors are out there doing for each other by going out of their way a little bit, maybe by being inconvenienced a little bit, maybe by paying a little bit of a price, and they do that all in order to meet the needs that they see. So if this is a picture of what neighboring love looks like, uh, making neighborhoods a place where we meet one another's needs, uh, then how do we begin to do that? What are the the sort of steps that get us there? And here I just want to speak very, very um, simply and very practically. My neighbor, my actual physical neighbor, or least expected one, my neighbor is somebody whose need I am in a position to meet, how do I begin to learn what those needs might be? How do I learn how to see my neighbors? In um, the book, uh, The Art of Neighboring, uh, Dave Runyon and Jay Pathick talk about a very simple progression. Uh, we, we don't go from being complete strangers uh, to meeting intimate and deep needs uh, in one step. Instead, we go from being a stranger to being an acquaintance to having a relationship. Uh, maybe it begins uh, by waving, driving by. Everybody put your hand up in the air and wave, right? Everybody has a waver, right? There you go. That just felt really good. Everybody wave. I like that, right? There's, there's that neighborly wave, right? We can start with that. And then maybe you say, hey, while well, you wave. Everybody do that. Wave and say, hey, hey. All right. Now, does everybody know the name of one neighbor, right? Now, you're going to just say your neighbor's first name. Wave and smile and now say your neighbor's name hey, Dave, right? There's the progression right there. You just went from a stranger, right? And you've taken the first few steps towards seeing and knowing a neighbor. And then maybe there's a time when you can walk over and ask a question. Hey, Dave, how are you doing? Hey, what's going on with that project? What you working on there? And then maybe there's a time where you can say, hey, Dave, I've got this thing happening in my garage and I could use an extra pair of hands. Do you have just a second? Or, hey... Dave, I noticed that your mom has moved back in with you. How's that going? Is there anything that you need? One small step at a time. When I started this neighboring work in 2011, uh, I received Mayor Donker's invitation to come to that initial meeting, and I threw it in the trash. I said, I don't have time for that. I don't want my neighbors in my house. I don't want to be in their house. I'm busy, I'm private. My house is for me. And God spoke to me about that, mostly through my wife. <laughs> and uh, I came out of the trash and I went to a meeting. And I said, I can start with hi. Hey, hey, Dave. I can start with that. I can do that. And so I was probably the worst neighbor. This is, this is absolutely true. This is not any, I was probably the worst neighbor on our street, right? Um, it was awful. Tammy is way ahead of me on this and almost every other important thing in life. But she, she is the best neighbor on our street. I'm the worst, right? We live in the same house. Imagine that. So, so I start in this place. of throw this in the trash. I don't want anything to do with this. And uh, over time, one small step, hey, Hey, Dave. Hey, how's it going? What's up? Over time, the progression has brought me to uh, an experience like I had this weekend. On Friday, I walked out to our mailbox to uh, get the mail. And as I was standing there pulling the mail out, our neighbors across the street were just getting into their car. And they stopped and they got out and they walked to the edge of the street and they said, hey, we're heading up north to Houghton. and they know that Hannah, my daughter, is a student up at Michigan Tech. And they said, hey, is there anything that Hannah needs? We'd be happy to bring it to her. And I said, no, Hannah's doing just fine. She doesn't uh, need anything right now, but thanks so much for the offer. See, that's the progression. And I think when God, when God saw that quick little exchange, knowing where I started from to that, I think Jesus said, yes, oh, that's awesome good job. That was good work. That's that's what I want. That's the neighborhood that I wanted for you. And, And the heart of God is happy. I don't know where you are in that progression. I know many of you are a lot better neighbors than I was. Many of you have been at this for a long time. Many of you have lived in neighborhoods for a long time, and you're the best neighbor on your street. But wherever you are in that progression, uh, throw this in the trash, I don't have time for that, I don't have nothing to do with that, to I am the best neighbor on the street, wherever you are in that, there, there is another step to take. Uh, there, there is still more to do. And very practically, let me just invite you to go to our city's website. And when you go to the website, you will find a whole page with very specific practical ideas about how to neighbor simple steps to take, conversations to have, things that you can do this week and next week in order to begin that progress of moving from stranger to acquaintance to friend. One of the things that you'll see is a uh, little magnet like this. You're the red house in the middle, and your neighbors are all around you on that cart. I have put a few of those in the back of the sanctuary, and if you don't already have one of those on your refrigerator, pick one up, Stick it, up, uh, stick it up in your house somewhere on your refrigerator, uh, on some other uh, surface. And it's a reminder to learn the names of the people who live around you, uh, to pray for them, to think about them, to greet them, and to keep your eyes open for the opportunity to meet a need that you might come across. If you go to that light wall uh, after the service, uh, Cheryl has done a fantastic job of thinking through some really simple, easy things that can help us to move into this practice of neighboring. And there are some cards that you can take that will help with a step. Regardless of where you are in that continuum, uh, there's another step that you could be invited to take. What's the end result? I want to tell you one last story as we close. And uh, this is a story that I think uh, is a picture of where a neighboring movement can go. I was in a conversation a couple of weeks ago uh, with an individual who's in the recovery community here in Midland. And this individual told a story about coming home to her house uh, later one afternoon. And as she pulled into her driveway, uh, she saw her neighbor sitting on her porch. And that was odd. And as she got out of her car, she realized that her neighbor was weeping. And now she is a little bit startled and a little bit concerned. But she approaches her neighbor and sits down next to her. And through her sobs, the neighbor says to her, "Uh, I think I'm a drug addict. And I need help. And I don't know where to go. And my friend, after she got over the shock that somebody was asking her, for help. Put her arm around her and said, You can go to a meeting with me. I don't have it all together. I'm not very far in my own recovery, but I'm willing to walk with you through this. As I heard that story, I said to myself, that's it. That's it. Not the gimmicks and the steps and the techniques. Not that, not that. That's it. That's the picture. That's where this goes. As a follower of Jesus, I am supposed to be the one that has a porch for somebody to cry on. As a follower of Jesus who has been so loved by God, I'm supposed to be the place that is safe and hopeful for somebody who's hurting. I'm supposed to be seen as somebody who might walk alongside As we step into this week of neighboring, let's ask God to do what he wants in surprising ways with our front porches, with our conversations, with our greetings, and open the door towards taking one more step to being the sorts of people who can help our neighbors and love them well. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, as we've been thinking today about neighbors, uh, chances are there are some specific names or faces that are in our mind. They may be surprising faces, people that we want to reject, people that we want to avoid, but we know that there's a need in that person's life, and we know that we have uh, the ability to meet that need. Lord, and help us to clear away whatever clutter would stand in the way of us loving our neighbor well and pleasing your heart. Lord, some of us are picturing houses around our house, maybe a mile down the road or maybe just a few steps, and we know the needs that live there, and we know that we're in a position to walk alongside through that season of need. Lord, Some of us are um, challenged today because we don't know our neighbors. Some of us are challenged because we don't want to know our neighbors. Lord, I I pray that you would just take all of that, all of that, um, all of that reality and just let us hear from you, your voice, your leading, your call, and help us as we respond to that. To not find another burden, but to find life as we bring joy to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.